Welcome into a brand new edition of Believe in Heels Hoops here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by the Tar Heel Tribune's R.L. Bynum. Special guest host Pete Chilcutt in the house as the uh, North Carolina Tar Heels enjoy a bit of a in-season buy off all this week. Um, that was great. They didn't have exams or anything going on, right? It's just a quirk in the, the schedule, I guess. So uh, the Heels have not played since this past weekend. A uh, huge bounce uh, back uh, win over Virginia Tech, 96-81 uh, this past Saturday. They'll take on Virginia on the road. Um, Virginia's a weird team. We'll talk about them in just a bit. Um, they're taking them on ESPN at 4 o'clock this upcoming Saturday. So we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll look at the week. Um, this past week for Carolina, uh, losing that game at Syracuse uh, and that win versus Virginia Tech at home. And I want to kind of take a look uh, at R.J. Davis uh, today and and the year he's having. Um, it's clearly his team, uh, the team. It feels like he's at a point now where he's going to get 20, 21 points, and sometimes you won't even notice he's scored 20 or 21 points. Like, it just – it's almost like clockwork now. Uh, like, when he shoots it, you expect it to go in. Like, he's got to that level. So I want to I give R.J. his flowers and talk about him a little bit and how important he's been to this year's team. But, uh, guys, what's going on this morning? How y'all doing? Good. We're good. Pete, what's yeah, up, man? What's been going on with you, brother? I am doing great. I'm looking forward. I mean, I, I do have a little break this week, obviously going to some games, but uh, just looking at the schedule and gosh, it just it seems like it's the end is right here. So uh, getting psyched up about that. March is right around the corner, literally like uh, like in the next week. <laughs> We're going to be in March and then uh, we'll have March Madness going on. The ACC tournament's in D.C. this year. Is that correct? Right. Are right. you going up there, R.L.? Are you going to the tournament? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we'll... Uh, have that going on. Uh, there's a fight right now in the ACC for uh, these double buys, uh, the first four seeds. Uh, it looks like Carolina and Duke kind of have one and two locked up and whatever combination ends up being. Then you have this glut with Virginia, Wake Forest, who had a huge win over Pitt last night. Uh, Pitt was in that mix. Uh, Syracuse, uh, Miami kind of fell off a little bit. So we'll look at the ACC standings like we do each week as well and uh, try to pick out who we think might end up taking those last two slots to get those double buys, which will be super important because you only need three days to win the ACC tournament as opposed to, uh, you know, five if uh, <laughs> you start open at night. And then it's not necessarily basketball, but I did want to get you guys' opinion on uh, the the college football playoff committee's ruling yesterday to uh, change the the 12-team format to five conference champions and seven at-large things. And the reason I want to bring it up, to me, when I first heard it, I'm thinking – if I'm the ACC, this is when I put the pedal to the metal to get Notre Dame to come into the league as a full-fledged member. And because they there's no way, there's no path for them to get a double bye uh, without it now because you have to be a conference champ. If they're an independent, there's no way to get there. So I want to get your opinions on that as well. So we had a loaded show today. Um, before we go any further, thank you, RL. I, I do have a read from uh, <laughs> from Believe for uh, Bet Online that I need to get in here in the, the first couple of minutes of the show. Uh, Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up to the minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs in, with in game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anywhere from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head over to Bet Online today to become part of the team. And remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And where we'll start today is a look back at the week for Carolina. <clears throat> I don't even know if I want to go back all the way to Syracuse because it feels like two weeks ago at this point. But uh, that Virginia Tech game, uh, give me your thoughts on the Virginia Tech game. Of course, it's at home. Carolina's only lost once all year at home. Uh, but it felt like Carolina was kind of getting back to the stuff that made them 
so good during that 10 game stretch back in January. Um, Pete, let's start with you. What was some stuff that stood out for you in the Virginia Tech game on Saturday? Well, you know, it's, it, I mentioned before, I think we, we, we want to see this team kind of rebound from, from some poor play and, and get back in the win column. And it, it sounds like it's when we were doing it well, we kind of took it for granted. And now it's like, it's almost like a fight to get back to that position we were at. Um, I thought there were some great steps taken that direction. I think it's becoming more evident, at least to me, that for this team to really excel um, in March and in the postseason, um, we're going to need we're going to need big time Baycott down low, um, being a force um, even more so than Harrison. I think when 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 Baycott gets the ball down low, on purpose as a, as a design play, and he's aggressive and he has 10, 15 shots, um, we're a better team. Just just point blank. And we have some good pieces on the outside. We saw some good Cormac. We saw some steady RJ Harrison has, has always been pretty consistent with his rebounding and scoring. But I think without Baker, and I'm not saying the point is important to be honest, but it's just involved in the play, getting those double teams. Um, he, he seems like he's getting back to the old Baycott a little bit more than he was obviously midseason. Um, and I think that's going to be huge for us going down the stretch. All right. Right. And, and you look at uh, Harrison Ingram early. Boy, he had a he was just beast mode uh, there the first few minutes and had a double double by halftime. But like Pete said, Bob, Baycott in the second half was really unstoppable. He was really active on offense. Uh, he got the the Hokies big men in foul trouble. And he and you know uh, it's it's a two way street as far as getting him opportunities. He's got to get in position, and he was doing that better. Uh, uh, against Virginia Tech uh, to to put him in position to get the post entry passes, and and then season high sixteen shots. He he hadn't had that many since the opener, and that's that's a problem in my view that they, that it, it, it goes that many games without getting the sixteen shots. And then like Pete also mentioned, Cormac hitting a bunch of three pointers. Uh, that was huge, yeah. Since he, since he missed all six attempts against Clemson, he's uh, 10 of his last 21. And that's going to create better spacing and and uh, make the heels more productive. And, you know, if Ingram can go back to hitting three-pointers as well, I think he missed all four against the Hokies. So that, that'll be more the better. What um, You were talking about Armando and the uh... – he was clearly more aggressive on Saturday versus Virginia Tech. What do you guys think that is? Because there are games where he's more aggressive, like from the jump, and then there's some games where he kind of takes a back seat and lets RJ and everybody else cook. Is there anything in particular you're noticing that's kind of like the uh, the underlying theme, like that's going on here? Like, is it is it when he comes across a guy that's bigger than him, like a a Burns over at, at NC State or whatever? It, no, I take that back because I felt like in that game he kind of took the challenge on. He was trying to go up against Burns uh, in that game. What is it do you think it is for for Baycott that bothers him where some games he comes out and he's looking for a shot, like this one, he's, he finishes with 25 points, double-double, and then there's other games where it's almost like they play better with him off the floor. Um, what what do you think the constant is here? Well, that's, that's a tough one for me. Um, I, I just I look back and I, I go back to the old school Coach Smith days where if you were a big man and had somebody on your back, you were demanded the ball. You got the ball. Um, and I see him down there posting up a lot. And then I see him, you know, he's waved up and he goes up to set a screen top of the key. Like so it's just it's just a different type of offense with him. Um, and I get it. That's part of what they do. Um, 
I think some of the stuff they're they're doing more is designed post ups as opposed to just getting it in the in the course of the, of the play. Um, and then part of it's like what RL said, he has to kind of have that edge. He sometimes he does kind of float a little bit and not really try to establish himself. But I I don't know. I think we all know is those long athletic defenders give him problems. Um, but that still shouldn't stop him from demanding the ball. I mean, we've seen teams double him on the first play of the game before he has done anything. I mean, it's just it's a good it's a good edge to have where you can demand a double team every time you get it. So I think uh, it's a little bit of both. But I think more more direct play calls. Uh, I hear Coach Davis. You know, I'm down there pretty close. I hear him get the ball to Armando. I hear him yelling all the time. So uh, it, it's something they want to do. And I think they've had, as far as I heard on, uh, I think I heard they had a conversation where you know he doesn't want. Armando to take the back seat. It's not a reserve role. You know, he wants him to be the man. So I think that message has been given. And I think it, it's been evident the last few games, at least, that he's uh, he's ready to kind of take on that role again. And then at, then at halftime Saturday, Armando said that uh, assistant coach Jeff Lebo made a point that they need to get the ball to, to him. And uh, obviously they, they did that a lot more in the second half than they did in the first half. Uh, and I don't know if if, if Lebo saw something in particular that he thought uh, the Heels could take advantage of, but uh, it sure surely worked. And that game, that Virginia Tech game, to be honest, as I watched it, it was one of those kind of games where sometimes I'm like in the game, like from the very beginning, like I was in it. I was doing, I think I was doing my taxes. Uh, I was doing something. <laughs> something else was going on while the game was going on. So I had it on. So I'm kind of watching it, kind of in and out of it. I never felt like the Tar Heels were in trouble. Like, I never felt like Virginia Tech was on the verge of taking over the game. I know they had a couple of runs, um, but Carolina felt like they were in control the entire night. Um, looking at the um, the the box score for, for that game, uh, Baycott with 25 points, 11 for 16 from the floor, 3 for 3 from the, the, the free throw line. Uh, just one of his better games of the year, if not his best game to date um, this year. Um, it just, it, it, everyone played pretty well. Like you said, Cormac Ryan had a really good game. Um, RJ Davis, of course, uh, what a good game. And it just kind of leads me back to, uh, wanting to talk about RJ Davis and the year he's having this year. Um, mm-hmm. he leads the ACC in scoring. He's at 21.3 points per game. That's 10th in the country. Actually. Uh, he's fifth in three point shooting at 41% second in free throw shooting. Who's the leading free throw shooter in ACC. If it's not RJ Davis, he's shooting 90%. Um, yeah, it's RJ. Is it RJ now? RJ okay. also is the is the best percentage free throw shooter in Carolina basketball history. That's nuts. Considering who who his coach is, uh, and Hubert Davis, that's just ridiculous. That uh, he's got a, he's got a chance to do some stuff that no guard uh, at Carolina has ever done before. I mean, you're entering like this esteemed category with the scoring. Uh, I thought I saw a stat if he can keep the scoring up. Uh, I'm trying to find it here. If he can keep the scoring up, he'll pass dudes like Michael Jordan and uh, <laughs> Rashad McCants and like these, these guards that played for Carolina in the past that didn't average as much as that he might be averaging uh, here in a bit. I'm still looking for the stat, but he he also he, has a shot at breaking Justin Jackson's uh, single season three pointers record. Where what is that? Do you know what that is off the top of your head? Or where he might be? I, off the top of my head, I think it's like 104 or something like that. Oh, feels like he's got that already, <laughs> the way he's been playing. So, um, yeah, R.J. Davis is having a really special season, not just uh, for himself, but in terms of, like, Carolina history. Like, he, this is a 
we can I think we can start talking about this at this point being February 21st like he's literally having a historic Carolina year at guard and that's saying a lot considering the the guards that have come through the Carolina program over the past I don't know 70 years <laughs> for for him to be able to have a year like this is pretty incredible um what do you think is RJ's biggest strength Whew. Well, and to me, it is, uh, and you got to almost look at the where he started to where he is now. Um, I mean, he impressed me as a as a freshman with just kind of his ability to get a shot off at, at his size um, and, and be pretty good at it. But what he does to me now that, that is really impressive is he he doesn't hunt his shot. You know, he's leading the, the, this, all that scoring. Doesn't feel like he's ever really hunting it or taking a bad shot. I mean, I could probably count two or three bad shots. I think he's taken all year. He's so efficient. He's so efficient. He he can hit that three, but he knows exactly when to get into the paint for a, a pull up or even that little runner that is impossibly hard. If you haven't played enough basketball to, to know that, that's that's a really tough shot that he makes yeah. all the yeah, time. Really is. Um, and then obviously you, you mentioned the free throws. He's you know for his size. You know how many times have you said, oh, now he's just too small to guard that guy. Like, he's small, but I don't know that he's been a deficiency on defense. Um, but offensively, I think just the, the the smoothness and the ease of which he seems to get his points. I mean, you can, like you mentioned, you can look up at the end of the game and like feel like it's been a normal game for RJ. He could have 25 without even really standing out too much because he's hitting some clutch shots, but just in the flow of the offense. Like, again, not really hunting his shot. Uh, we got so many different weapons that, uh, you know, a bad game for him has been like, 17, 18 points. And I'm not saying bad, a, a lower scoring game has been, has been, has been in that range. So teams like Duke uh, really, really tried to take him out of the game and he still had a pretty decent game. Considering, I mean, they did, a, I thought they did a great job on him. Actually that game made it really tough for him. You look up, I can't remember what he hit, but it was like 15, 16, 17 points. Yeah. He like ended up 16 or something. He started scoring in the second half. Uh, I want to say it was, was it Proctor that was guarding him most of the first half or something like that, or McCain, one of the two. And, uh, they did kind of shut him down. Well, I don't know if shut down is the right word, but he was quiet uh, that first half. But the second half, uh, he, he just finds the ball just finds him. It feels like and and RL. It feels like uh, he Armando has said it's his team this year, and clearly the team goes the way RJ Davis goes. But that Virginia Tech game to me was a perfect example of when a team would start to press and get close to Carolina. Usually the ball going to end up in RJ's hands, and usually it's going to end up in the bucket. Like he he kind of. He's become the closer, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, how confident are you in RJ going forward, uh, especially as we go to uh, Virginia Saturday, which is always a tough place for us to play? I feel like when we go into uh, John Paul Jones Arena, it's like stepping into a mud pit. Like, we're just going to play in mud, like, all day. <laughs> like, the, the score is going to be in the 40s. It's just going to be a rock fight no matter what we do. Um, are you worried going up to Virginia, considering Virginia just – Got the brakes beaten off of him by uh, I remember who it was. Um, tech was it Tech? Was it just Virginia Tech, tech yeah. Billion? yeah, yeah. The the, the same the the, the oh, same yeah. team that uh, gave up ninety six points to Carolina uh, holds Virginia scoreless for nine minutes. <laughs> goes on a twenty to nothing run. It's just it was just an incredible contrast for the Hokies. But uh, is Virginia overrated? Do you think and that's a hard thing to say going into the game, not after? Um, <laughs> but I mean, I'm looking at their past two games, uh, and I completely forgot they went one for 11 from the free throw line the game before against Wake Forest and still figure out a way to win that game 49 to 47. 
they have not crossed 47 points in their past two games. Like they have not scored a hundred points in their past two games combined. Um, against the yeah, I mean, I feel Virginia. bad for Virginia fans. It's like learning to like the that brand of basketball is like learning <laughs> to love broccoli because it's good for you. Yeah, then yeah. Again, because they've been successful, but boy, there's been no reward of late. You're watching that boring brand of basketball and not even winning. Um, it's the defense is spectacular. Like chefs, right. it's always been that pack line defense is it's really hard to figure out. But this only works when they have scores like. And not just scores, but like first round NBA talent scores like that 2019 Virginia team that won the whole thing. They had what two, three guys that got drafted first round in the NBA draft or whatever. Um, and this Virginia team, other than Beekman, I don't know NBA talent wise what they have. And I say that because it's not like I'm saying Carolina's got a bunch of NBA talent, but they don't need a bunch of NBA talent to run the system they run. With Virginia, they do because they can't score. <laughs> like they, they, and this isn't like a. Uh, an aberration or just a shot off, you know, like a one-off or whatever. They've been like this every year that Tony Bennett's been the coach. It just worked in 2019 because they could score. And technically it worked in 2018 too, but they don't like talking about that year. <laughs> they don't want to, they don't want to discuss that year. Um, so really I, I'm sitting there looking at it, I'm like, okay, do can they, is this more a matter of us figuring out Virginia's defense or is this a matter of us basically playing our game and daring Virginia to be able to score more than, 70 points or whatever to be competitive in this game and we're basically saying we don't think you can like what approach do you have going into this this road game uh versus virginia that just dropped out of the top 25 they're fighting for their lives as well and they're actually still in third uh in the standings um in the acc they're a game and a half behind carolina so this actually could do a lot like to disrupt the standings if virginia could pull off the upset against carolina on saturday are you are you guys? How are you feeling? How are you feeling going into this game against <laughs> uh, the the, the Wahoos? I'm I'm concerned, and I'm concerned mainly because I think I heard and I knew it was a tough place to play. But I think it was 2012 since we've won there. Um, yeah, ridiculous like that. And I know going back to my time, it's it's just been tough. It's been a tough place to play. Kind of like Atlanta. It's kind of tough for the Heels to play against Georgia Tech right now. Um, that 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 defense, while not pretty. Uh, they they have a lot of skill in in doing that defense and performing what they're trying to do and slow that game down and um you know if we get frustrated and and just start shooting some bad shots and then they hit a couple key shots because they I hear what you're saying about the NBA uh, kind of uh, caliber of talent but you know for that offense they, they also have a couple of shooters I think they have a guy shooting like 50 percent from three close to it if if they get going and get a lead with that defense. It's it's tough, and we've seen that before. Where we're struggling to score against their pack line, we start taking worse and worse shots, trying to catch up, and it just snowballs. So I'm a little concerned just from that stamp, the his, historical standpoint. I think if we can get that pace like we want it, and we're going to definitely going to try, um, then we can get a chance to get a lead, kind of like Virginia Tech did. And just once you get a lead, it's tough for them to come back because of their offense. So that's going to be key. That first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe up to halftime, what kind of game is it? Is it their pace? Is it our pace? Um, that's my concern. Right. Yeah, but Pete P has a good point there. They they don't play from behind very well. It's uh, kind of like a running team in football trying to rally. And having the pass, bullets, which they yeah. don't do. Yeah. But the other thing I'd point out here is this is a lot like the Clemson game where Virginia's going to come in hungry for a quad one win uh, and trying to battle into the NCAA field. So they're going to have that kind of mindset for sure. 
And uh, another thing Pete mentioned is the three pointers. Five of their seven losses have come when they had four or fewer threes. So that that's going to be important uh, for sure. It looks like they've lost. Have they lost their last three coming into this game? It looks like they lost three. They they beat Wake Forest. Oh, that's right. They beat Wake. It feels like they should have lost. But, yeah, Yeah, so they've lost two of their last three because uh, before that Wake game, Pitt ended their 23-game home winning streak, uh, 74-63, last week. Uh, Blake Henson had 27 points. Uh, I don't think we're talking about Pitt enough, to be honest. I know they lost last night. By a lot, by a billion to uh, <laughs> to Wake Forest. Uh, they gave up ninety something points to them, but Pitt's been floating around. Um, it, before we go over to the college football thing, I was talking about earlier. Before we get out of here, I wanted to look at the um, the standings. We usually look at the standings at this point of the show, just kind of see where we are, see what's behind us, and everything else. And I'll pull this up here because it it has turned into. I don't think you really need to look past Virginia Tech here on the standings. Which that's, I mean, at that point, you're eight, nine teams deep. But let me pull this up here uh, so everybody can kind of see the log jam that's like directly behind Carolina uh, here in the standings. Now, Carolina's at 12 and three. They're half a game ahead of Duke uh, due to the victory that they had over the Blue Devils. Uh, then you have Virginia in third at 11 and five. They're a game and a half back. Then you start getting into this glut where it's uh, Wake Forest is in fourth. So right now, because of that win, that game against Pitt last night basically was for the four seed uh, at the moment uh, between Wake and Pitt. <clears throat> Pitt had pretty much battled themselves all the way back into uh, the top half of the league over the past. I think they were the hottest team in the league uh, going into last night's game. I think they won like nine straight or something crazy. And uh, Wake defeats them. Wake is at nine and six. Pitt's at eight and seven along with NC State and Florida State. NC State picked up a win last night, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Florida State lost. Was that to NC State? No, no, State lost. State lost last night. Yeah. Uh, and then Clemson, Syracuse, and then you get to Virginia Tech. And then everything else underneath that, I don't know what in the world's happened to Miami. Um, they're two well, and seven. Well, I'm telling you, Tar Heels fans should be big uh, Canes fans tonight because if uh, Duke beats Miami, then uh, it will tie Carolina for first place. So, uh, right. and, 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 uh, so, so go Canes. Yeah. <laughs> so go, go, go Canes. Um, the Canes have, have lost their last four games um, in a row. Um, so we'll see w- how that plays out. Duke actually is going into this game with the, lar- the longest win streak in the, the conference currently. They've won their past four. Uh, is that in Miami or is that in Durham? That's in Miami. And, and also Proctor has been out with a concussion. And it's, it's not right. clear whether he's going to play or not. So that, that this, could be a factor. You know what? That kind of sets up as one of those uh, games where I would not be surprised if I wake up on Thursday morning and Duke lost that game. Like, just them having to go on the road. Uh, Duke has had some stretches where it feels like they don't have an interior presence like they've had the past couple of years, like with Derek Lively and whoever. Who is that on this team? Because I can't figure out who their big man really is supposed to be. Um, and because well, I mean, of it. Well, Filipowski was playing the four last year. And yeah, now he's, he's always five, and he's not as effective yeah. as he was last year when he had, was playing next to Lively. I don't think he likes playing the five, to be honest. I think he prefers to be like a stretch four. Um, I don't think he really likes playing inside in the paint, and it shows because he kind of kind of shies away from it a little bit, and it's affected his game uh, this year from what I've seen. So keep an eye on that. I would not be surprised if Miami defeats Duke uh, tonight. Uh, is that tonight? 
Where, yeah. yeah, that's where's yeah, the so, yeah. Yep. so um we'll keep an eye on that. But again, looking at the standings, uh only two ranked teams in the Atlantic Coast Conference, Carolina and Duke, um, this week. And Carolina extends their uh streak of being ranked in the top ten. I can't remember what the exact number is, but um there you have it for the polls, uh and or, or turn excuse me, the rankings. Uh Carolina five and two against uh teams ranked in the AP poll, four and two against teams in the, the USA Today poll, which is by far the most wins. I think it's the most wins of any any team in the country against ranked teams. If I if I remember hearing that stat right, that Carolina has the most. Um, I think Crichton was right there, Adam. And uh I would be remiss if we not mention uh Crichton and what they did last night to UConn. Um, because I was starting to think UConn was entering that territory of we were saying there's not a bully team this year. Like there's not one team everybody's kind of looking at. It was starting to turn to UConn. And then that happened <laughs> last night, whatever. Creighton came in like a buzzsaw and kind of diminished some of that aura of invincibility that UConn was starting to build. Um, as it stands right now, guys, would you take UConn or the field for the NCAA tournament? Well, I mean, uh, as a Carolina guy, I, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I was like, like, like yourself, I was like, I kind of thought UConn and maybe Purdue were a little step above, but I think we saw both of those guys recently kind of not yeah, Purdue lost too. Yeah. Not look unbeatable. Um, but I'm going to go with the field just because not only because of Carolina, but it's just, it's just hard to win a championship. You, you don't win it in February. You don't win it in, in January. You got to get hot at the right time. And, um, that's what I'm hoping happens with us as we get into the tournament season. But uh, it, it's really hard you, as you, to go, belt, you know, from the beginning to the end of the season and, and keep that ranking and, and keep that domination. I, I think they're definitely probably the most solid best team out there at this current point, but doesn't mean they're going to win it. That doesn't always uh, equal the championship. So they're the one. Yeah, team I mean, Creighton showed last night if, 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 if UConn is up against a center that can neutralize Klingon, they're a different team. Uh, and what, what was interesting for those two blowouts last night, uh, Carolina gained a quad one win because Wake Forest, that win is now a quad one. But they also fell a spot in the net rankings because Creighton leapfrogged them. So now Carolina's. Went from nine to ten. Yeah. I, I I can't stand the, <laughs> the trying to figure out the net, and I get it. They're trying to make it so it's fair and people get fairly ranked and seated properly or whatever. But sometimes it just doesn't make any sense. Like <laughs> like when some of the stuff happens, or a team falls after they just won a game or whatever. Um, I do believe that's why some of these Wake Forest wins that they've had this year, especially at home they're running up the score <laughs> like they understand they don't like it well i don't think coach forbes particularly cares for it but he's mentioned it in press conferences where he's like you know with the net the margin of victories counted into it and all this other stuff that's why you're getting these like 35 point wins or whatever whenever wake wins at home because they're thinking about it and they don't have a signature win like they need to beat duke or whoever it is they have coming up here next just to have one they don't really have one um they got Carolina next week, I believe. Uh, so they don't have, I mean, a lot of chances really for a, a big win. And this is the same situation they've been in the entire time Steve Forbes has been at Wake Forest, where they're great at home, uh, they're great in the portal, but they're they're not so great non-conference portion of the schedule. And then when they get into the ACC schedule, they're kind of 500, and they just don't really get a big win and that's what's kept them from being in the, the tournament they have been in the tournament since steve forbes take, took over and i love steve forbes i think he's a great coach 
Uh, I think he's perfect for Wake Forest, but I do think they're getting to that point where the natives are going to start getting restless. Like, hey, what are we doing? <laughs> like, we're not making it in. Um, real quick before we get out of here. But, but, you know, he's you- a guy who's, who's figured out the net, though. I mean, he knows he's yeah. got to uh, yeah. run up the score, as he did, get, did against uh, Georgia Tech. They went up 14 spots in the net after last night's game. See? See? <laughs> and, Pitt, and they beat Pitt at home, right? So it's like, come on, man. Like, something – the net's weird. The net is weird. Um, I mean, you mean, you'll remember, Carolina went up significantly after they beat Charleston Southern because the margin of victory was, I think, 35 or something. Yeah. So, so it, it sometimes doesn't – sometimes it, it doesn't matter who you play. The, the messed up uh, dynamic of the net is – you win big, you're going to go up. Yeah, and it does feel like Wake's kind of figured that out, so maybe they'll try to continue that trend. Not that it's easy to run up the score on a team in college basketball. Like we're saying, as if anybody can just do it whenever they want to. This is not the uh, it's not the current NBA where apparently no one plays defense. Did you guys watch any of the All-Star uh, <laughs> game from Sunday? I, uh, I actually I put it on, and then I thought about it about three minutes into it. I was like, I don't want to watch this, and I flipped it away. And I'm so glad I did because then I saw the highlights the next morning and everybody complaining about it. Um, Pete, you played in the NBA. What do you think when you when you see uh, the Eastern Conference score 211 points in the All-Star game? There was three fouls total <laughs> in the game. No one's playing defense. No one's really even trying. And now it's at a point where the players are upfront about it and vocal. They're just like, eh, it's just an All-Star game. I'm not going to get hurt doing this, blah, blah, blah. What are your thoughts on this as a former NBA player? Uh, I get it. I, I, I get there, there. There's no real motivation motivation for them to to do anything else besides get whatever bonus they're going to get for being an all star and showing up and just going through the motions. Uh, it's it's just set up that way. It's, it's obviously gotten worse as, as the years have gone on. I heard a good idea on the uh, somewhere in some chat room recently where mm-hmm. you know they give these guys their all star awards and then set up with other guys in the league like a big three on three tournament for that weekend and, and pay the winning teams X amount of dollars, but, you know, get some younger guys that, that, you know, just good guys. I mean, all stars will be invited, but like it's competitive and you're going to win some cash by winning those three on three tournaments. Uh, something, something, I, I just heard a bunch of ideas, but money's always the answer. Like you got to throw some money around. Uh, yep. <laughs> three format might be a better uh especially with some guys who maybe aren't the all-stars maybe some younger up-and-coming guys uh where they get a big cash prize for winning i don't know you know i don't know if you guys have watched the big three uh with, mm-hmm. with ice, ice cubes thing yeah you know i did try out for that by the way oh yeah yeah that didn't work out too well <laughs> uh, but that that has been kind of a good niche thing as well so i mean there, there's a there's a fan base for that um and those are older players. If you get some current players doing some some of that stuff, I think it might be a good a good sell. But uh, they got to change something. I, I I wouldn't even turn it on. And I saw the highlights. And I couldn't even watch the highlights because yeah, like, it was just- almost like they weren't playing a game. Like they were just all standing around and just. I saw one sequence where Luca and uh, uh, the uh, Jokic were basically coming up the court, and they were just kind of tapping the ball back and forth, like passing, like he never hit the ground <laughs> and there's no defender anywhere. And they're just coming up full court, like just boom, 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 boom. And then they, they tap it to somebody underneath the goal and they throw it up and lay it in or whatever. And I was like, I mean, I, I didn't play at the level that Pete did, of course, but I, I did play competitive basketball as I was younger. And it made me mad actually. Like it really made me angry. I'm like, why should I, why should I spend my time 
watching this when they don't even want to be there. Like, if they don't want to be there, why do I want to be there? So I agree. They got to change something on the Sunday. Saturday night is great. They do need to change the dunk contest to something. Um, Cause it, I mean, all the all-star games are like that in the NHL all-star game. Nobody's checking anybody. Nobody's hitting anybody. And then you saw the NFL has decided flag to, football to, now to, for NFL, yeah. flag football. I mean, it's almost as if, if, if the MLB all-star game was the same way, you'd have a outfielder just casually walking toward a fly ball and casually throwing to the base. That's yeah, how that is. Yeah, this <laughs> is a big part of all sports and it's, no part of the NBA All-Star game, which makes it unwatchable. They still they still do the thing in Major League Baseball where the, the winning league hosts or they're the, the home for uh, the World Series or whatever. Did they do away they, with that? They stopped that a couple of years ago. Okay. Because I felt like that actually added some juice to the game uh, in terms of them really doing more. But then again, it was really unfair to the individual teams. Like, say, the National right. League wins the, World, or wins the All-Star game, but then – the the A's or somebody has the best record in baseball to get all the way to the World Series and they're playing the Braves that won 80 games but they've got home field advantage because of the All Star game from three months prior like that part I kind of understood I'm like all right that's not really fair um I don't know what you can do to fix this All Star game other than like Pete said money um because it's crazy the in season tournament had more competition than the All Star game and there was money attached to it like you know every player on the team got what five hundred thousand dollars or something for winning that and. <laughs> course my lakers had to put up a banner and <laughs> show a trophy and all this other stuff uh for it but yeah money's probably the thing i did see john morant say uh they'd have to pay him a million dollars to be in the dunk contest and i'm like well maybe maybe the prize is a million dollars maybe they do something like that because there's no reason for john morant zion williamson uh anthony edwards for these guys to not be in the dunk contest like uh, I think Stephen A. Smith said it perfectly earlier this week. LeBron James has ruined the dunk contest by not participating in it for 20 years. He's made it where these other stars think it's not really a big deal. So they don't want to get embarrassed. They don't go out there and do it. And it's it's shrunk the value of it. Whereas the three-point contest has been fantastic. It's been great. Uh, I love the Curry-Sabrina Onescu duel or whatnot. Uh, I love the three-point contest. It's pure. Like, you can't fake it with a three-point contest. Either you can shoot or you can't. And uh, – that part's good. But again, like what Pete said, they're going to have to do something on All-Star Sunday or just do away with it and do, I like a three-on-three deal or whatever. Or maybe you bring in one of the guys that's not even a pro <laughs> as part of your roster or something like that. Um, so they got a lot of work to do. Real quick before we get out of here, though, your quick thoughts on the college football playoffs decision to do the five conference champions and seven at-large uh, teams as the, the field expands to 12 starting this fall uh, from the four that we currently have. Uh, basically securing uh, the SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, and ACC uh, spots, and then the the highest-ranked group of five conference champion will get the fifth spot. My question has to do not with them expanding the, the field, but with our uh, on-again, off-again friend Notre Dame. And with them being an independent uh, in football, they, of course, they're a full-fledged member of the ACC in basketball right now. Uh, really, I think all sports except for football. Uh, if you were – and, and hockey. <laughs> so if you're the ACC commissioner uh, today, are you making a push for Notre Dame to come in finally as a full-fledged member of the ACC, which in effect should increase the value of the league, which should in effect allow the league to go back to ESPN and be mm-hmm. like, hey, look, look, let's let's look at this over again and, and redo this because now Notre Dame is here. Because Notre Dame, the way this was written out yesterday, I felt like it was a slap in the face of Notre Dame. Like, go pick a league. Go pick a conference finally. It's 2024. Because – 
there's no path for them to get a, a top four uh, double buy because those are conference champions. Like they, they're not in a conference. So there's no way for them to get to it unless they join a conference. So to, I'll, ask, I'll put it to you guys. Should the ACC go pursue Notre Dame in football with the changes to this uh, platform the way it stands right now? Or should they just wait for the Big Ten to come pluck them like they probably will in the next, <laughs> next couple of years? <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I'm 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 a big uh, uh, I love I love college football. I think um, not only should ACC go after him, I think Notre Dame should go after somebody. I mean, like you said, it, it, this is a big money maker for, for yeah. football programs. This is a big deal. So, like like you said, to be locked out of that top four, that's that's a that's a hard road every year they're going to have to face. Um, and I get kind of the reasoning before, but this puts the kind of onus on them now as well to find somebody to, to kind of partner up with. And um, I don't know if the ACC will get them, but we do have that kind of relationship going on already. Um, but that I think they definitely should uh, at least make some offers there. I, I want to say there's a thing uh, when Notre Dame came in as the partial member that if Notre Dame ever decided to look for membership for football, the ACC would have first dibs. Like that's kind of the agreement that if they did decide to go and join a league, that the ACC would have the first mm-hmm. uh dibs on them come and joining them since they let them in for everything else uh rl um should they pursue this hey stanford's going to be in here next year so they already got a rival already <laughs> like here so no obviously the league should pursue it but i don't think notre dame's gonna budge they 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 like that position and sure they might have to play a first round game but boy they're gonna make a lot of money filling up notre dame stadium for a first round playoff game that is so, true you know, just, yeah. just more money so I I really don't I don't see the yeah. Irish uh, budget. And but they've got their own little network thing with NBC slash Peacock yeah. or whatever. And I don't know if they would be allowed to kind of keep that or however that would work. Um, I just I feel like um, I'm a purist more in terms of like college basketball. Like there's a part of me that wishes that Carolina did the route that the Big East did uh, when all this was going on part like a couple years back when they were like we're just going to be like the best basketball conference we can be. And they just went ahead and built it. I wish Carolina, I'm not Carolina. I wish they see it done that instead of chasing the football money. I get it though. The football money is a lot. <laughs> so, but to think that the ACC would be on the level of the SEC or the big 10, uh, even back then, it's kind of nuts when you think about it now. It's like, we were never on their level in terms of football. Like we probably never will be. And the gaps is going to constantly get bigger and bigger. So what are we chasing? Like we're going to end up messing up the league completely chasing after football money that was never ours. So I say go after them. I've, I've been a huge advocate for making Notre Dame, like forcing them to make a decision. Like, what are you doing? Because you're kind of holding up our league. Like, if we add Notre Dame, these other schools, Clemson and Florida State and all these owners that are rumored to leave, they're probably less likely to leave. Like, if you're in here and we're a full-fledged 16-team super conference or whatever, like they've built over in the SEC and the Big Ten – Notre Dame's the one. They're the only thing left out there that's not attached to a, a major conference, really. So um, I hope the ACC goes full forward with it. But you're probably right, RL. They probably won't. And <laughs> Notre Dame probably won't pursue it either. And they'll just sit back and wait it out and see what happens. But imagine a 13-0 Notre Dame as a five or as a six seed in the college football playoff and a 9-2 <laughs> like Big 12 champion as the three seed. Like, that's when the conversation is really going to start happening. So um, anything else before we get out of here today, guys, regarding uh, Carolina, the upcoming matchup on uh, Saturday. Again, it's four o'clock on ESPN. It's a huge matchup. Carolina's number one in the ACC standings right now. Virginia is number three, uh, but kind of reeling a little bit. They've 
they, they lost their last game. They've lost two of their last three, which means it's a perfect opportunity for them to do something to Carolina on the road Saturday. Um, any, any final words regarding uh, upcoming? Well, I'd be interested to see what, what uh, Virginia does defensively. I, I assume it'll be Reese Beekman on uh, R.J. Davis and Ryan Dunn on Elliott Cadeau and uh, see how that goes. Yeah, Pete, uh, I'm, particularly looking at? I'm looking forward to seeing the, the, the pace. Um, if we can establish the pace, if we can get out and have a good start, it's just it's just the curse of that Charlottesville. We got to get out there and, and play well. I don't if we don't play well, it's gonna be tough. All right, so four o'clock p.m. on ESPN on Saturday, uh, our Tar Hills will take on Virginia Cavaliers. Always a fun place to play at Virginia. So uh, get ready for a fifty to. 45 <laughs> rock fight. I don't know. It depends on what your definition of fun is. Yeah. <laughs> fun for Virginia because apparently they love playing this, apparently, but not for us. We we do struggle against Virginia, especially the past uh, couple of years when Tony Bennett has been the coach. So it should be a good one. Um, check us check for us next week as we're getting to the nitty-gritty here. Uh, after this week is over, uh, the last week of the regular season is next week, right? There's only a couple games left. Um and then, of course, you know, we've got the tilt with Duke coming back uh, here soon. Is that next Saturday? No, that's the Saturday after. Yeah, yeah Saturday after. The March 9th. Uh, yeah, so we still got about two weeks to go after we get out of this week of uh, ACC play. And then the ACC tournament will start in D.C. So we'll be back uh, next week to recap uh, this game against Virginia. Um and we'll look forward and see what Carolina's got next, see what they can do, see if they can slip back onto that one line. Um with that loss to uh, Syracuse, it kind of dumped them off of it to the the top two uh, seed. But they've got some wiggle room. And like we said, UConn's not invincible. Purdue lost. Uh, Arizona's been up and down in the top four. There really isn't a big team that everyone's trying to gun for um, at the moment, uh, especially after last night. So Carolina's got some room to do some stuff here. And they got some games in front of them where they can really move ahead, starting with uh, on Saturday versus Virginia. So, uh, we'll keep you abreast there. Again, uh, go follow the Believe in Hills Hoops uh, podcast anywhere you get a uh, podcast from on any major podcast platform here on the Believe Podcast Network presented by Bet Online. You can watch the video each week at youtube.com forward slash at Tobacco Road Sports Radio or at the Tar Hill Tribune YouTube site. For RL, uh, RL Bynum, for Pete Chilcutt, I'm Desmond Johnson. You've been watching and listening to Believe in Hills Hoops podcast here on Believe Podcast Networks. <laughs>